If you or someone you know is struggling with mental health, please reach out to Lifeline Australia on 13 11 14 or contact your own nation's crisis support and suicide prevention services. Hey, this is Karis Ryan and welcome to another episode of Teach Me in 20, the podcast where we learn about something new each week. This week's focus is mental health. We're speaking with Dr. Lulu. She's based in the States. She's a TEDx speaker, a best-selling author, a pediatrician, and also the founder of Teen Alive, which is an online teen wellness resource. She's talking to us about the mental health of our youth at the moment. Obviously, our younger generation is facing things that we never had to, particularly with online, social media, bullying. It's a changing world and she explains ways that she helps her patients improve their mental health. And the same way that she's helping teenagers, we can apply as adults as well. And hopefully by improving our younger generation's mental health, it can lead on to a healthier society in the future. I learned a lot from Dr. Lulu. She pointed out a few things that I wasn't aware of. So hopefully you gained something from this chat like I have. She's also a big advocate for counselling hand in hand with medication. So therapy alongside medication. But of course, everyone's journey is different. It's just another perspective we have here. If there's any questions you have, as always, pop them in our Facebook group, the Teach Me 20 podcast Facebook group. Dr. Lulu can answer them all there. Let's get to our chat. Teach Me in 20. Teach Me in 20. Dr. Lulu, how are we? How are you? Howdy. Is it howdy? Is it how you greet each other over G'day. there? G'day. 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 G'day, Sheila. How are you? Hello. Oh, it's good. It's great to have you on. So let's dive right in. I wanted to speak to you because even on your website, you mentioned there's a growing number of patients you've been seeing. You deal with adolescents, teenagers. Why are you seeing so many, an increasingly number of more patients? So it could be twofold. It could be also thanks to technology because I could see you, you're in Australia. I mean, are you kidding me? So it could be that we have more than ever before a rapid transmission of information. I mean, if it happens in Australia within minutes, I hear about it in San Antonio. And so if a child kills themselves in Nigeria within minutes, I hear about it in San Antonio. So it could be the information super highway that we have and we're able to tell each other more but also it could be that we have more social ills and more societal ills and that's where unfortunately social media comes in again technology comes in again we're now able to not only bully you at school we can also bully you at home i've been able to find out that 80 percent of children in grade school have either been bullied or have bullied someone 80 percent so eight out of ten and yes majority of the bullying behavior does start at home that is true but most people who have been bullied which means victims can also become bullies so there's always a lot of room for a lot of people to be bullies there's a huge space for being bullies you're primarily a bully or you've been bullied before now you've become a bully in other words you've been a victim now you become so a lot of children have been bullied. And then if you throw in societal ills like racism or prejudice, poverty, incarceration, sexual abuse, emotional neglect, substance abuse by the parents or the children themselves, teen pregnancy, any kind of trauma 
that can cause mental anguish. So think about it. It's traumatic and it can cause mental anguish. Thankfully, in 2000, well, actually 1997, there was a study that was done by Kaiser Permanente called ACEs or Adverse Childhood Experiences, where they did, they found out that about 10 are the top ones, but they found out that a lot of traumatic events that happen to children in their childhood can begin to manifest when they become late teens to young adults to regular adults. And one of the things that they found was all these traumas that I listed to you, one of the top things that they can give you as an adult is suicidal ideation, suicidal behavior. And if you have suicidal ideation or suicidal thoughts, and then it progresses to attempts, then you're now at a high risk of becoming a suicide victim. So it becomes a vicious cycle. But the biggest answer, the best answer for you is, we as a whole, as a village it takes to raise a child, are asking ourselves the wrong questions. And if you don't ask the right question, you will not get the right answer. Karis, if you or your child goes to see the doctor now because your child tells you that, oh, I want to kill myself, for whatever reason they tell you that, the average doctor is going to prescribe an antidepressant. That is the truth. And I use mm -hmm. the U.S. as an example because in the last five years, prescription strength antidepressants have tripled or almost quadrupled. We don't even really have the true numbers. However, in the last five years, suicide rates have also tripled. So if we, have if we are truly treating the right problem, why do we still have the problem continuing? Because That's most people point. ask you, well, why do you want to kill yourself? You know what I mean? Like, what, well, why do you want to, well, why do you want to kill yourself? Well, you know, because I want to die, because I'm done, because I've had it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done with it. What is going on is a depressive crisis, a depressive crisis, which is not to be confused with depression, clinical depression. Now, while clinical depression is one of the symptoms of a de depressive crisis, Majority of a crisis is anguish, is overwhelm, is burnout, is devastation, is hopelessness, is helplessness, is a feeling of entrapment. You can't really treat those with medication. If not medication, what's your answer? How do you think people can best help their great, mental... Great question. Yeah, great question. So ask the right question first. And the right question is what happened versus why do you want to kill yourself? If we know that trauma is the root cause of this suicidal behavior or overwhelm or anguish or whatever, then we have to ask what happened. And if the child tells you, I'm being bullied incessantly at school, I'm being bullied repeatedly at school, then you don't, you're not quick to say, here, take some medicine. Rather you say, wait, wait, let's take care of the bully or the bullying behavior that's causing you to go down this path. Or mm -hmm. I'm being molested every day by my uncle, or the priest at church, whatever, you know. Or my mom is an alcoholic, and basically I get no love at home because she's too busy shooting up drugs. All of those are the situations that this child is facing. And then they get to school, and they have a teacher who probably doesn't care, you know, or something who doesn't see the child as struggling. All of those things lead the child to say, you know what, forget it. You know, no one really sees me. I'm invisible. So, you know, I might as well just kill myself because I don't really count. So you see how that thought process comes. But unfortunately for us, it's two ways. It's also the, the individual themselves 
who is suicidal? Are they aware of the thoughts that they are letting into their heads? Humans by nature stack up thoughts. And once you start listening to those thoughts, then you will start acting on the thoughts. So then it, it doesn't take much for you to say, you know what, I'm out of here. Let me give you an example. In 2008, at least I know the US, maybe some other parts of the world experienced a major economic bust because we had this major crisis. Yeah. 10,000 men that we know of jumped to their debts or killed themselves as a result of that financial crisis. Before, In the USA alone? Yes. Before wow. the financial crisis, those men were okay. They were working. They had a job. They had a retirement. They were not depressed. But when it happened to them, they had depressive crises. Now, if they went to see their doctor and the doctor's like, oh, well, you're going through this here, get some therapy, but also take this medication. Believe it or not, the biggest side effect of antidepressants is suicidal ideation. And so if, okay. someone, is, if someone is already suicidal and then you toss an antidepressant at them, they become more suicidal. And wait, they also have financial crises. They will jump. But let's get you to start rethinking that everything that happened to you is not because you're a failure. It's because life happens to you in the meantime. Because life will happen. It toss you bad oranges any day, but it's what you do with those, you know? Same thing with these kids. We need our parents to rewire their thinking about, don't say, oh, you can't do it, or oh, you don't really mean it, or oh, you're kidding. No, don't say that because when someone is suicidal, they really truly are in pain. And if you don't know what to say, then don't say anything at all. Because a child who is going through that kind of anguish, they're not making it up. And so that's kind of what I'm doing now. What are some of the problems that you're seeing from your patients? So what are they coming to you with? You mentioned bullying before. What are some other issues that this current generation is facing? A lot, a lot. So bullying is one. Bullying can be physical, verbal, emotional, cyber, right? That's one. It's a huge umbrella. But also a lot of my teenagers, let me give you an example so it makes sense. I had a patient come to see me in December. Her mother brought her because her mother said, she ran away twice from home and she has attempted suicide twice. Wow. And she was like, I don't know why she's so ungrateful, her mom's words. I work myself to the bone. I, I, you know, I'm working two jobs to, you know, make, to provide for the family, give her everything that she wants. And I know she's just so selfish. And then I asked a little girl, what happened? And she said four words. I miss my mom. That was it. Because the house was no longer a home for her. Her mom was never home. And as she said, whenever my mom comes home, as soon as she walks in the door, she's yelling at me until I go to bed. Her mom was stressed out, working two jobs, doing all these things, trying to provide, not realizing that that's not what the little girl wanted. Mm. So you know how we fix that? Every Saturday, she and her mom have a mom and me date. They go for two hours to the park or to do their nails or massage or whatever. And slowly but surely, it's getting better because the little girl's problem was she missed her mom. Sometimes it's not a big issue. Other times it's big, like a breakup. Like, you know, the boyfriend cheated on them. Relationship issues are number three, the third commonest cause of suicidal, of a reason for suicidal behavior in teenagers. Their boyfriends cheated on them or broke up with them. You know, at that age, you're all about your peers. 
And if you're being bullied or ostracized by your peers or your boyfriend cheats on you or whatever, it's puppy love, but it's love to them. You can't. It is. It's a big deal when you're that age. (laughs) Yeah. So relationship issues are very, very big. And even for me as an adult, when I got divorced, I went down a dark tunnel. It's not, it's not easy for anybody. So relationship issues is another big thing. Believe it or not, sexual abuse is huge. A lot of incest, a lot of abuse with these kids. They're being abused sexually. And some of them actually become sex slaves and, you know, all this sexual trafficking. That's also huge in teenagers. Runaway teenagers have the highest risk of sexual trafficking, right? And then, of course, LGBT kids. I would never, ever, ever leave that alone because this, they have the highest rate of suicide amongst youth, the LGBT, especially the trans kids. Why? Because the world has dubbed them freaks and scum of the earth and they are bad and, you know, pervs or all kinds of names that they, they're just like, all I want to be is just be who I really think I, 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 I am. And the world attacks them. So very high amongst the youth is LGBT. I mean, youth suicide is LGBT kids. And then also they get killed. You know, the trans people in in the U.S., they are victims of homophobia like crazy and homicide. A lot of them are getting killed. So when you look at yourself and you're, you're gay and you're thinking, I'm going to grow up to be that. They're going to hunt me down like a wild animal. I'm out of here. Majority of my patients are actually LGBT. Majority of them come out to me. And I know right away that that's the reason they have this trouble because they don't know how to tell their parents. Because their parents have declared that gay people are this, that, and they don't want to be disowned. It's a huge problem for a small child to, to, to carry. So it's not as easy as this is the reason why kids are killing themselves. It's multi layered yeah a lot of them stemming from the home front yes we have bullying at school but the home front it's emotional abuse lack of speaking the child's love language is traumatic for kids it's very traumatic so it's not just one thing and if you toss in cyber cyber bullying then you know it's, it's over in 2019 i want to say adelaide her name was Rochelle Pryor. She was 15. And her last Facebook post was, maybe after I'm gone, the bullying and the racism will stop. And she was an Aboriginal. Uh. Very, very high in indigenous populations. Same thing with African-Americans yeah. in America. And the Native Americans in America also have a high rate of suicide. Any indigenous population, because of what they deal with, the social maligning and just ostracization, the gov- lack of funds from the government, anything bad if, if a black kid has ADHD they are a troubled teen if a white kid has ADHD they need help yeah. the same kid yeah things like that causing kids because many many people still think like child kills themselves like what's wrong with that child like what do you mean she killed herself because they don't they don't believe it's a thing but it's a bad thing the second commonest cause of death in America is suicide What do you say to your patients that come to you? What are some coping mechanisms that you suggest to them or ways for them to improve their mental health? Perfect question. Two weeks ago, I had a patient who, you know, because my patients, they make their own appointments. They send me text messages. They can do whatever. They just just mess around with me and that's okay. (laughs) She sent me a text. She said, I can't wait to see you, Dr. Lulu. Oh, my goodness. I have so much to tell you. It's been such a rough week. I was like, okay, okay. I said, you know what? Do me a favor. Before, we, before I see you next Tuesday, 
Write down a list of all these things you want to tell me, right? And then call five of your friends and tell those friends that your doctor said you should ask them, how can you help them make their day better? Okay. And you know what she said to me? She said, by the third girl, she was feeling so much better. Yes. So the answer is remove yourself from the equation and help someone else. Nothing can make you feel, have a realistic dose of reality than to help someone else in need. And so I preach volunteering a lot with my patients. Put that energy of self-hate, self-hatred or self-negativity towards something positive. Remove yourself from the equation. Of course, if you have truly have mental illness, like as, as in true diagnosis of anxiety or true diagnosis of depression, clinical depression, which tends to run in the family, you need to take medication as well. But action, you know, the, one of the symptoms of suicidal behavior is hopelessness or helplessness. And the, the opposite of helplessness is helpfulness. You become helpful. Help somebody or help yourself. Yeah. Reach out to someone else and you will see how quickly you will start. Of course, it's not going to happen overnight, but you have to first put your best foot forward. You want to do this and then do it. You'll be so surprised at how much better you're going to feel. Go for exercise. Get out of the house. Plant a garden. Stay outdoors. The outdoors nature is the ultimate antidepressant. Just getting outside and just... I love to hang out in my backyard. This is my office. I look at the trees. I look at the birds. I listen to life. Yeah. And I just, I don't feel bad anymore. Stuff to do that is real, that's going to make them remove themselves. So I make them write in their journal a lot and make them document their feelings. Put those thoughts on paper and leave them on paper. Otherwise, if you keep ruminating on the thoughts, they're going to keep on thinking, I'm not good enough. I'm not going to write it down and then give me 10 reasons why you are good enough. And it's surprising how hard it is for them to figure out 10 things that are good, that's good about them, but 25 things that's bad about them. Yeah. It's years of stacking those negative thoughts. But it's, it's doable, and we're doing it one person at a time, one teenager at a time. That's great. What, um, what's the youngest age you're of one of your patients or someone you've seen? And also, is there a gender bias? Like, uh, are you seeing more girls than boys? The youngest child known in mankind to have died by suicide was five. It was, an, it was a Chinese girl. She and her siblings all killed themselves. The youngest girls in America to, to ever die by suicide were both six, one black girl and one white girl, not related. My youngest patient in my practice was seven. And believe it or not, she, he's seven, he's, he's alive. So he attempted to hang himself twice. Why this little boy? wanted to kill himself. Indeed, his own was, he had ADHD, so he's impulsive. Okay. And so that, that answers your other question. Boys tend to be more likely to complete the process. I'm not going to lie to you because of the, the, the world kind of sees them as natural. They don't want to be seen as a failure. Right. While girls tend to have more attempts. However, in recent time, women, especially doctors, have now become more proficient at killing ourselves. And so women, adult women doctors, now have the highest rate of success as far as rising numbers. But men across the board, boys across the board, they tend to try more lethal also. They'll use a gun, asphyxiation, you know, whereas women will take more poison. 
and therefore maybe we can save them. You know what I mean? I, so, the first, yeah, if the first question that comes to my mind is how does a five or seven-year-old even know about suicide? Is the media playing a part in promoting or glamorizing either mental health or mental depression and suicide? I just, yeah, I'm, I mean, we've got, you know, it seems to be a big thing on teen angst, you know, your Billie Eilish songs or the Netflix show 13 Reasons Why. Is the media playing a part in raising awareness on weight, on suicide? What's your sort of take on that? Yes, absolutely. There's something called suicide contagion. In other words, or contagion, whether you're potato or potato, whereby it's actually contagious if you hear that someone else killed themselves. And that's why sometimes the media doesn't want to mention the means, like how did they do it? Because they plant the idea in your mm. head. That's one. That's one. Also, there's something called suicide clusters. And the Native Americans and the Aboriginal teenagers have the highest rates across the world of suicide clusters, which means, oh, there was one down the street, and then there's one up the street, and then not one mile away, and then two miles away around this area. So a suicide cluster is defined as a high rate of suicide for that geographical location for that age grade for that time of the year again kids don't just oh well everything is fine with me i'm just going to kill myself no usually there's something going on however the six-year-old girl that killed herself in america the, the youngest girl in the u.s that has recorded to have killed herself literally her mom and her, and her were having an argument at dinner and she said that's it i'm gonna go kill myself she literally got up from dinner Went up to her room and killed herself. So again, so that brings me to answer your question that I don't know if truly she meant to kill herself or she did not realize that that particular action was going to be irreversible. Hanging yourself with your jump rope, which is what she did. Did she really understand, comprehend the finality of the action The average, the studies have shown that four-year-olds, as young as four-year-olds, understand that death is final. They understand that their pet goldfish is dead. They understand that their grandmother is not going to come back. They do know what death is. My question is, do they know that hanging themselves with a rope will actually kill them? We don't know because we can't ask them. So that's the thing. Yeah, that's tragic. What, what can parents do? What's some advice you can give parents out there to support their child's mental health? I came up with a, an acronym called TALK, T-A-L-K. And what I like to say is I say lean in and talk. Parents should do that. And TALK stands for T is tune in to the right radio frequency of your child. Most parents are on this frequency, this wavelength, their kids are on that wavelength. That is the truth. Yeah. Case in point, my eldest son is gay. And when he got to, when he did his, when he went to his first semester at Stanford, he came back and said he wanted to start painting his nails. And his other mom and I were like, okay, great. So we got our big box of nail polish and gave it to him. He said, oh, great. And you know what happened? He came back the next semester. I'm like, dude, whatever happened to your nails? He said, mom, why didn't you guys tell me that nail painting nails is so difficult? I said, no, no, I want you to find out yourself. You see how I twisted that? All that parents would be like, 
I can't believe you were heaven forbid. Why do you want to pinch it? No, teenagers. Yeah. They're here now and gone tomorrow. And then A stands for ask the questions, ask the difficult questions. Are you thinking about hurting yourself? People think that if you ask about suicide, you're going to make the child become suicidal. That is the ultimate myth about suicide. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. If, if I'm hurting and you're asking, I'll be like, oh my God, thank you so much for seeing the pain in my eyes and I appreciate you for you know, recognizing my pain or whatever. And yes, actually I am hurting and actually I've been thinking about hurting myself or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you ask them the next question, do you have a plan? And generally if they have a plan, that's not good because that means that they're on the next level, they're the next stage, yeah. right? What you want to do is ask them if they have a plan and then say, you know what? I'm so thankful that you told me that you chose to tell me about your problems or your trouble, whatever, and let's see how we can get you help. And sometimes it's good to also ask them what kind of help do they like? Because you don't want to say, let's go. And then they're like, well, mom, I, I, I don't want to talk to the pastor. No, no, no. You must talk to the pastor. No, I don't. You know, maybe they don't want. So don't make it worse by trying to help. And then, you know what I mean? And mess it up. And then, L is listen intently to the answer to the questions that your patients give to you. Because if you don't lean in and listen, you might miss the responses. So listen intently, just be intentional about it. Be present in the moment. When you ask those questions, be ready for the answers that are going to come. And of course, case keep an open line of communication. You know, kindness, keeping an open line of communication and then taking them to get help. I mean, you have to do that. There's just no magic about it. So I ask the parents to practice those four things. Talk T-A-L-K. And generally, my patients get better once I start working with their parents. Right. Because now their parents get it. What do you say to those parents whose child is the bullier? So how, how do they approach that situation? You know, it's a very, very good question. A lot of people think that, you know, I mean, and, and I don't blame them because... Nobody really likes a bully. But as a woman who has birthed, birthed is that the word, one bully, one, one victim, and one bystander, I dare to say each child was needy at one point. The reasons why people bully people are myriad of reasons. A lot of them are just looking for love at home. A lot of them are learning because they are being exposed to bullying at home or domestic violence at home. It's a behavior that is 100% learned. The bully usually, honestly, is a victim of something. And then they're acting out this way. So you have to have compassion for them. And most people think empathy is big, but compassion is bigger because empathy says, I see you, I hear you. But compassion says, I would like to help you. Or how can I help you? And we need to help the bully themselves need help. Do you know that bullies have a high rate of mental illness issues down the line? Bullies have a high rate of incarceration, antisocial behavior, psychiatric diagnosis, chronic depression, suicidalization, and suicide. Bullies themselves because they're very troubled people. It's usually damage and trauma. The same thing that causes a child who's suicidal, the same thing that causes a bully. Mm -hmm. Trauma. Okay. Because no baby was born a bully. Nobody was born a bully. They learned the behavior. What can schools do? How can they play a part, especially ones from in low socioeconomic areas? You know, there's, I know now there's wellbeing programs being implemented in schools here in Australia. 
kids might be doing yoga or they're teaching meditation. Mindfulness, um, yes, I love it. I, yeah. I read about that. I read about it. I was so excited in the schools. I was so happy to see that. So schools everywhere should have a zero tolerance for bullying. Parents and schools, homes and schools should have zero tolerance and also implement it because you can have all the, you can bring the big stack of policies if they're not being implemented. One of the reasons bullying proliferates in school is because the bullies see that when you report, nothing is done about it. Okay. So they just continue. So the schools must, first of all, have the zero tolerance policy, which means everybody is going to be the principal's eyes and ears, the teacher, the gardener, the, the cleaner, the kids at school, everybody. And therefore, reward someone who tells, right? Yeah make it a big deal that this is something that we like humans by nature we're creatures of habit and so if you reward me for something i'm more likely to do it again because i like rewards and so make it a big deal for that people who report bullying get recognized and also they should include the parents in every step of the way in my case i was so happy that my child school told me about it I needed to know about it. I don't want to wait until he gets in school suspension. I don't want, I want to know right now yeah. that this is what's going on with my child. So I can also follow up at home. Yeah. It sounds like it's a cohesive effort between at home and also at school. What about, we mentioned, touched on it before, but antidepressants versus counseling. Um, do antidepressants have their value and are you an advocate for them or are you more in talking it out, getting the right help through counselling? I think it's a little bit of both. For the right diagnosis, absolutely. If a child truly has depression that is clinical from maybe endogenous, for instance, their mom's clinically depressed, their dad is clinically depressed, whatever, ultimately comes to the cause. The, 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 the books will tell you that medication with cognitive behavior therapy, which is counseling, and of course, the, around, the, amount, the right amount of support are the three things that will get the job done. Most people who have mental illness, which is anxiety, depression, PTSD, bipolar disorder, most of them who are properly diagnosed and on medication do not die by suicide. They die by heart attack or whatever, some, something else. And the majority of people who do die by suicide don't have a diagnosis of mental illness. So when it comes to suicide prevention specifically, there's usually an underlying cause. If it's mental illness, then that person is probably improperly, di improperly diagnosed, not on medication, does not have appropriate support, has substance abuse as a complication, so again, you can have mental illness as an entity, but all of these things help that person. It's like if you have diabetes and all I do is make cupcakes every day. <laughs> so it's, it's all those four things that help that child who has diagnosis of mental illness get better. Medication, therapy, proper support. And then of course the willingness, the will, right? You yourself first say to yourself, okay, I've been diagnosed with cancer, whatever, I'm going to get better. I've been diagnosed with mental illness, I'm going to get better. Okay. You have to also will yourself to get better. On that topic of getting better as well, if a child or adolescent is coming, has mental illness as a child at an early age, are they always going to carry that on to adulthood or if proper prevention happens early on, that can... I don't want to say get rid of it, but as an adult, they won't suffer from it or it'll always be around through their whole life. 
I think ultimately it just depends on the person. A lot of people have dealt with depression for years. Most of us know someone who's been taking medicine their whole life and they just, you know, been, always been on medication. So I think, yes, it can potentially go further into adulthood. But again, if you have the skills, if you have the skill set and the um, wherewithal to deal with it and just not say to yourself, this is my diagnosis and this is the end of me. Have the attitude of, I have this diagnosis, but I'm going to live my life to the best. You have to learn to regulate, self-regulation, regulate yourself. You see yourself going down that path because life will always keep on happening. Yeah. You have to tell yourself, wait, am I going down that path? I usually use the three A's. Number one is acknowledge the thought process. Number two is analyze the source of it. And then number three, act based on veracity. Act based on what is the true source of this thought process that I just had. Okay. Analyze it right now. Don't wait till the end of the day. Do it right now so you can offload it. My last question for you. Do you still think there's a, a stigma around mental health in society? And what do you say to those people who don't believe in mental illness, who are like, oh, it's, it's not a real thing? So the truth is most people don't believe it until it happens to them. It doesn't change the fact that it is a thing. And it's unfortunate that there are people like that. I think going back to the, the, the stigma part of it, absolutely. The reason why many people don't want to get help because they don't want to be labeled as mentally ill when they are suicidal, that's one. So they don't want to get help because they don't want anybody to, to, to label them. And then number two, when you label them as mental, mentally ill, then you feel like you need to give them medication, which again, we've already talked about the fact that that really doesn't work. But the third reason is the fact that WHO in 2015 actually declared the stigma of mental illness as a global public health crisis. Wow. The stigma, not the mental illness itself. So that's how bad it is. So it is such a bad thing. But luckily, thankfully, people are beginning to talk more about mental wellness now. So it's slowly creeping in. And that's the way to kind of talk about the topic. So I love the word mental wellness as opposed to mental illness awareness. I mean, it's like... If you're not physically well, it's a matter of time before you become mentally ill. Okay. And if you're mentally ill, of course, it's going to affect your physical body because then you have no drive to do stuff and then you get sick from other things physically. So they're interconnected, intricately. You can't even separate one from the other, honestly. Dr. Lily, thank you so much for your time today. I'm going to put the link to your Teen Alive website where people can get more information if they're a parent or they've got a niece or nephew that might be struggling and need more help. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. It'll only cost you 20 minutes. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that chat with Dr. Lulu. And the main thing is the more we can talk about mental health, the more it can lose its stigma and we can promote that it's okay to be talking about this. It's okay to seek out help. Next week's chat, we're chatting with Aaron McGregor. He's from Perth Homeless Support Group. We're going to be talking about homelessness in Perth, how people can help, how the issues arise. So if you want to catch that chat, make sure you subscribe to Teach Me in 20. And while you're there, why not rate and review it? Every review you make helps people find the Teach Me in 20 podcast. So even if you have reviewed it before, review it again. Thank you in advance. Have a great week. Look after yourselves and we'll see you next week. Teach me in 20. Teach me in 20.